So we'll start First Peter chapter number 1, starting in verse number 22. It says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by, or which by the gospel is preached unto you. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. When I was a teenager, I went to somebody's house, and for dinner, and they had cooked a big meal, they'd worked really hard on it, but it was something that I, I just did not like. Um, there's not a lot of things that I don't like to eat, but this is on the short list. I just really didn't like this particular uh, type of food and this dish. And just to look at it was starting to make me ill. But I sat down and I was going to tough it out. I wasn't going to uh, complain. I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to. I was going to not offend the the woman who cooked this meal, spent all this time on it. And so I took the first bite, and it was just as bad as I imagined it. And and I thought, well, maybe she cooks it a little bit differently than I've had it. Well, no, she cooked it just the same as everybody else cooked it. And I just didn't like it. Well, I wasn't going to hurt her feelings, like I said, so I decided I was going to eat it. And I ate it just as fast as I could eat it. And I thought, well, if I just eat it real fast... Just swallow it, don't chew, don't linger, just just swallow, get it over with, and it'll all be over, and it'll be done with, and, and that's that. Well, I did so, and I ate, and I, I didn't even chew half the time, I just swallowed and scarfed it down, and she said, wow, you must have really been hungry. I said, yes, it, it was really good, thank you. And she goes, well, you, you have to have some more. I said, no, no, that's fine. She goes, no, I, I've never seen anybody eat so fast. And he said, here, have some other. She filled my plate up again. And so I had to do it a second time. And I thought, well, I should have not been so deceitful. That's what I get for, for being deceitful. But that was a reasonable response, I thought, thinking back on it, is that if you saw a teenage boy sit down to a plate full of food and was eating like he's in the army and just scarf it down, that was a, a pretty reasonable response to say he must have really been hungry and he must have really liked it because otherwise he just picked around it or just ate a few bites and that was it. So it was a, a reasonable response. And so she said, and so the reasonable uh, reaction to that would be, well, he was hungry. He liked it. It's all gone. He must want some more. That's, that's a natural, reasonable thing to think. Well, our text tonight is almost along those lines of just a, a reasonable response to someone who has life. Because at the end of chapter number one, 
you have someone being born into this world, spiritually, born again, rather. Not into this world, but born again. Born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed by the word of God. There's life. And this word of God, which liveth and bideth in it forever, is that incorruptible seed that they're born by the Spirit. This word that endureth forever, this word by which the gospel was preached through the power of the Spirit, brings one into life. And so what is the reasonable response to someone who has life? Well, chapter 2 starts with the wherefore, and then says that the child of God is like a newborn baby, hungry, with a desire. And so that's what you and I are like. We're like newborn babes. And that's what we'll be preaching on tonight. This, if you're born again, and you're given life by the word of God, you'll desire that word of God, and then you'll grow in that word of God. So if the, by the Spirit of God, we're given life by that word. The Spirit of God uses the word in our uh, regeneration. That gospel, that sweet gospel that we heard, that the Spirit of God uses in our regeneration. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God. Well, we'll long for that. Um, in our in our life. What's that look like? Well, it's a laying aside of that which is evil and a longing for that which is good. So the wherefore, in chapter number two, verse number one, the wherefore is based on the case that we read at the end of chapter number one. That we're born again by the grace of God, by the incorruptible seed of the word of God, not the flesh, we're not born again by our works. We're not born again by the, the, the flesh, but by the Spirit of God. We heard the Word of God, and the work of the Spirit in the new birth brings us life by the Spirit through the gospel as preached. So that's where we stand. That's, that's how we are the children of God, through the, the monergistic work of the Holy Spirit. We are born again. So the end of chapter 1 shows us that we're children of God by the grace of God. Born again. Regeneration is receiving that spiritual life. It's a dead sinner giving, being, receiving life. Or, as the Old Testament says, it's the heart of stone being replaced with the heart of flesh. Or another illustration is a circumcision of the heart. Or it's a spirit coming upon the valley of dry bones where those skeletons were laying there dead and by God's power, those bones lived. They came together and they stood up and then the flesh came upon them and they were alive. It is the Lazarus come forth. It is uh, the dead coming to life spiritually. That is regeneration. That is the new birth that we have in view here. Being born again, spiritual life. Being made a new creature as it's, uh, we find in 1 Corinthians. It's being illuminated in the mind. It's a changing of the heart and the will. So regeneration is a spiritual work of God's Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, giving spiritual life to a sinner. 
that this sinner is made able to receive the gospel and repents the sinner and gives faith to the sinner that the sinner trusts and clings to the Lord Jesus. This is the work, the sovereign work of the person of the Holy Spirit. And this work, uh, I said it, but it's a monergism or the work of God alone. So um, one man said, only when God shines in us by the Holy Spirit is there any profit from the word. The inward calling alone is effectual and peculiar to the elect, distinguished from the outward voice of men. So Peter said, this is the word by which the gospel was preached unto you. Well, the gospel was preached to a lot of people. What makes this different? Well, it was the work of the Holy Spirit that brings the sinner from death into life, that opens the eyes, being born again, that that sinner receives that word. And that word is made effectual. It is the calling of the Holy Spirit that makes the difference, not the will of man, not the works of man. So it is the work of God, the Holy Spirit, in the, in the elect that gives them life. So when we go into the wherefore in chapter number two, we need to remember God's work in regeneration. I don't born myself again. I didn't give myself the power to believe. I didn't give myself the eyes to see. I didn't call myself from death into life. I didn't uh, born myself again. I didn't illuminate my own mind. I didn't change my own heart or my own will. I, wasn't, I didn't make myself a new creature. This is all the work of God, the Holy Spirit. It is by God's wondrous and sovereign and effectual grace that brought me from death into life. It is the monergistic. So you can either be monergistic or synergistic. Mono means single or alone. So it's either God's work alone or it's synergistic where it's God and man working together. Well, I didn't participate in giving myself life. That was God's work alone. The monergistic work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. And so going into chapter number two, we don't want to forget that it was God's work in us that gave us life. And also remember that it's God's work in us in our sanctification. We don't want to get to chapter number two and just say, well, let's forget all the Holy Spirit work. It all relies upon us. Well, no, this is still the work of God in us. It is God that sanctifies us. We are sanctified by God. It is a long and slow and difficult, often sometimes a painful process of sanctification. Sometimes we are sanctified through trials, as we saw in the beginning of, or in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, that the trial of your faith be much more precious than gold. That perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Well, that is God's work in us in sanctification, that the trial of our faith increases our faith. Um, it, call, it, it gives us love for God and reliance upon God. And so this is God's work in us. That's a painful process. 
Chastisement is God's work of sanctification in us. That's a painful process. No one likes that. I don't like it. You don't like it. Little kids don't like it when they're corrected by their parents. But that is a, a work of God in us. But it is God's work in us. And though it is often a slow process, we can say, well, I can see how God is working in me. Why would God work in me? Well, because I am his child, because I've been born again. I've been quickened by the Spirit. I'm indwelled by the Spirit. So I can see the Spirit's work in me, in his work in sanctification. And so we have to remember, this is God's work. And we don't say God saves us and then leaves the rest upon us, but it is still by grace that we are sanctified. We are kept by the power of God, as, as Peter said. In verse number 5 of chapter 1, through faith unto salvation, we are kept by God's power. We're not kept by, I'm not kept by my power, you're not kept by your power, we who are kept by God's power. How? Through faith. Where do we get that faith? Well, God gives us that faith. Unto when? Unto the, the, until the very end. And so this is God's work in us, and Peter reminds us of that. Um. The Heidelberg Catechism says, Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit after his own image, that with our whole life we show ourselves thankful for his blessing, and also that he be glorified through us, then also that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof, and by our godly walk win others, win also others to Christ. So it's natural, isn't it? It's reasonable that one who is born again will have gratitude to the one who gave him life. The one who has been saved will have gratitude and thanks to the one who saved him. The one who has been redeemed will be grateful to the one who redeemed him. The one who um, has been purged from all filth and unrighteousness and brought up from the mire of sin and clothed in the righteousness of Christ will be grateful and thankful to the one who cleansed him and clothed him. And so this wherefore, laying aside, is not us trying to earn God's favor, but it is an, the reasonable result of one who has been born again. Um, another, it was the Belgian Confession, said that we believe that this is true faith produced in man by the hearing of God's word and by the work of the Holy Spirit, regenerates him and makes him a new man, causing him to live the new life and freeing him from the slavery of sin. So when we think about it that way, that this faith that is produced in man by the hearing of God's word, by the effectual work of God the Holy Spirit, regenerates us, gives us new life, borns us again, making us a new man. This causes us to live the new life while simultaneously freeing us from the old life. God, the Holy Spirit, does this in such a way that it's often imperceptible of where our desire well, what it is, is God gives us these desires. 
these new desires, these new longings for these new things. So much so that they are our desires. God gives them to us, but they are ours. So God the Holy Spirit gives us a desire. But they are, they belong to us. And so we are the ones laying aside the old life. We are the ones desiring the new life. But it's God that's working that in us. So it is God's work of sanctification in us. So that's what that wherefore is very important there in chapter 2 and verse number 1. To, to link us back to God's work in us. But this is God evidence of our salvation. So we don't want to get the, the cart in front of the horse and, and start saying, well, I need to do this in order that I can be saved. Or am I doing this enough to know that I'm saved, but to view it as I can see God working in me. And because this is in me, I can rest assured and have confidence in, in, in the salvation, the election, uh, that I, I can make my calling and election sure. Because I see God working in me. So wherefore what? Laying aside. Now this is like an old set of clothes. Coming in from working outside, filthy and, and muddy and, and you get up to the, the door and so I'm, I can't walk in the house with these filthy shoes on I got to strip off these overalls and, and I got to leave them outside I can't bring these in the house the, this is not becoming in the house I can't go in there and sit on my furniture with these oily clothes and no it's not becoming it's not fitting to be in the clean house well that's the image there we got laid aside we got to set these old things aside because it's not fitting for what the way that we live now, the way that we want to be now. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. You got a prisoner that's in jail, he's wearing the orange, wearing the prisoner's clothes. He comes out. He doesn't keep wearing those prisoners' clothes. He gets set free, pays his debt to society. He's been sitting in jail all this time, says, you know what, I've learned my lesson. I'm not coming back in this jail ever again. I hate it, I hate every inch of this jail. I hate the food, I hate being confined. I hate the shame that has brought me. I've learned my lesson, I'm never coming back to jail. He gets out of jail, he's not gonna keep wearing those prison clothes, is he? No, he's going to leave that behind. He's going to lay it aside because that's not his life anymore. He's going to start on the, on the path of lawfulness. Well, that's sort of the image that we have here. We're going to lay aside malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. Not because we want to be saved, but because we have been. Not because we want God to do something for us, it is because God has already done something for us. That, that, that's of the old life. Malice is translated in Matthew 6, 34 as evil. It's depravity. 
in Acts 8.22, it's wickedness. Repent thereof of this thy wickedness. It's the same word as malice. The old way of life. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, in verse 7 and 8, uh, Paul uses this word in the same way, I believe, as what uh, Peter is using. So 1 Corinthians 5, verse number 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but of unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So it's that malice, that wickedness, the old, the leaven, that we need to, to, to purge ourselves from. So it's just that old way of life, that old sinful, depraved way of life. We lay it aside. And so Peter starts with the sins of the heart and the mouth. Guile, which is craft or deceit. Hypocrisies, which is like, you know, you're playing the part. You're, you're insincere. You say that you're one thing, but you're really not, but you're playing the part of, the, of, of something. You're, you're saying you're a Christian, but you're not really. You go through the motions like a play actor. It's just insincere. Envies or jealousies, resentful feelings over what someone else has that we wish was ours. Aristotle said that envy is the pain at the sight of another's good fortune stirred by those who have what we think we ought to have. So somebody has something good and you wish you had it. So that pains you to see someone else doing good. You're not rejoicing with those who rejoice, but you're pained that somebody else has something you want. Well, that's envy. That's the old way. Evil speakings or, or defamations. That's the old life. So Peter's getting to the root of the matter in these examples. You know, these are not the only sins, of course, but ones we might not think of when we're laying off the old ways. When you hear people talking about laying off the old ways, there's usually, I'm not even going to listen, but there's usually a set of sins that people will talk about. Well, I used to do this and this and this, and now I don't do that anymore. Well, that is good, but that's not the only set of sins. Sometimes um, God saves children at a young age. And they say, well, I never, I never took drugs. I never uh, drank. I never gambled and, and all these types of things like everybody else. And then they start saying, well, I wasn't as bad as, as some people were. Guile, hypocrisy, envies, evil speakings. These are all, you know, that's a middle school lunchroom right there. Right? The... That, you know, that's something 10-year-olds know all about. Evil speaking, gossip, envy, hypocrisy, guile. So, so, you know, that's just another example of how we can trick ourselves into being 
self-righteous because there's one set of sins we think are, are the real bad sins, but these, are, these aren't so bad. Well, Peter says the old way of life is categorized by these inward, inward sins, these heart sins. We say we got to lay these aside. That's not, that's not what we want to do anymore. That's not who we are anymore. We've been born again. We're not those people anymore. We lay them aside. And then we long for what is good. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if so, you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now we go to newborns. That's a stark contrast, isn't it, that Peter paints for us. Malice, guile, hypocrisy, envies, evil speakings. Now you have a newborn babe laying at his mother's breast, peaceful and gentle. Two very stark pictures. A deceitful hypocrite full of envy and jealousy and evil speakings and defamation. New little baby, newborn baby, infant. So the picture here is this newborn babe is one of, think of sincerity and, and simplicity almost. Um, innocence we might think of. Because he's not talking about depravity, right? And he, he's not making the point of depravity. He's just talking about how... We see little babies and how we hold for them, hold them and care for them. There's a reason why we talk about innocent little babies. Now, you and I know what the scriptures say. And Peter um, knows what the Bible says, you know, of course, with uh, of depravity. But he's just making a comparison, natural comparison. There's a reason why we talk about innocent children. Um, we're not saying that children are without sin or without the natural corruption in Adam. Babies are born sinners, but he's just comparing the two things. Newborn baby who desires the sincere milk, desires milk, versus the old, the old sinful way. It is a longing for that, which is good is what we're supposed to be looking at here. The, the baby doesn't represent a newborn spiritual baby a newborn Christian, but we're just thinking about babies as they are, just naturally as they are. What do they want? Are they hypocrites? Are they being guileful or malicious, full of envies? And they desire to be fed. And so that's, that's what we're looking at here. That is how we are to be towards God's word. We are to desire God's word. We're to be like newborns in that regard. I was thinking about that. Um, you might remember that Bugs Bunny cartoon where the mobster's hiding out and uh, he was disguised as an infant. I can't remember the mobster's name, but uh, there's a little baby and Bugs Bunny would turn around and that baby be smoking a cigar and... Uh, it's funny because it's out of character for a baby to be a hardened criminal, right? That, that, that mobster was full of guile, malice, and hypocrisy, but he's dressed up like a little baby. It's funny because it's out of character. 
Babies don't do that. They don't plot schemes. They don't um, play the part of a, of a hypocrite and so forth. Well, we, that, that's playing on what we know about children. And that's the illustration here. So we are not to be, we're to put off the old way. And we're to put off desiring selfishness. But we are to be like newborn babes. And to desire the sincere milk. In Scripture, this line of thought of the babe and the milk is also sometimes used like the mature Christian versus the young Christian or the milk versus the strong meat, like in 1 Corinthians and Hebrews 5, where there's a condemnation of the lack of growth in the Word. So the carnal in Corinth, the Hebrews, people were unskillful in the Word. Well, Peter's not drawing a condemnation here, so... This applies to all Christians. Because that's what he says. We lay aside all this, and then but but what are we supposed to do in the place? If we lay aside what we used to be, what are we now? We are like or as newborn babes. That's what Peter says to, to us. We are like newborn babes. We ought to be like this. The baby really isn't the main point, but the desire here is the main thought. The idea that the child or the babe is not limited to just those who have been saved. Jesus says, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So that's not just when people are first saved. He's just making a point for us to be like little children. When Peter's making a point, we'd be like newborn babes. Well, how? To desire the sincere milk of the word. Lay aside the malice and the evil and the guile. Desire the sincere milk. Desire God's word. So we have salvation and faith by hearing the word of God. Now we have a desire for that same word. That, that pure milk. So we're born again unto a lively hope. First Peter 1 3. We're children, 1 Peter 1 5, obedient children into God's word. 1 Peter 1 23, born again of that incorruptible seed of the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. And now he's making a comparison of newborns and the desire for milk. Take off the filthy. And the defilement of sin, lay it aside, the insincerity, the untruthfulness, but instead desire that milk, that pure milk of the word, like a baby that just can't get enough of the milk. So we, we have a lot of young mothers in the church, and we know their struggles about finding sleep. Why is it? Because babies don't eat three times a day. They eat about every hour or so. And they, they desire, they long for that milk, that sustenance. That, that, that's what they want, that, that comforts them, that strengthens them, that gives them um, energy, it gives them their sustenance for their life. And they desire that. And you give them that and they'll be happy. That's what they want. 
You have a newborn baby that's hungry, they, you show them a rattle, they don't care about that rattle. You show them a baby doll, they don't care about that baby doll. You show them toys, they don't care about those toys when they're hungry. You might be able to give them a pacifier just for a little while, but pretty soon that doesn't work. All, that, what do they want? They desire that milk. They have, they, that's the only thing that they want that, that, will, that will satisfy them. And Peter says, be like that. Desire that sincere milk of the word. Now, sincere is the opposite of guile. Sincere is um, the, the Greek word adelos, and guile is dolos. So it's got that alpha primitive in, in front of it to where it means the opposite. So guile and sort of anti-guile or sincerity. So we lay aside that guile and now we desire the anti-guile, the anti-deceit, um, the truth, the pure, sincere, unadulterated truth. That truth that we heard that gave us life, that truth that we heard about ourselves that showed us what we are, that truth that we heard of the Lord Jesus Christ who, who came to die for us and to save us from our sins, that truth of our inheritance, that truth of our justification, of our righteousness, that truth, that, that incorruptible seed. And now we desire that. And long for that, that ye may grow thereby. So not only is the word the instrument which the Holy Spirit quickens us to life, but it's the food by which we grow. If you compare, I've got it written down here, but you can compare this to Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter says, take off. Lay aside the malice and guile hypocrisies. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor seateth in the seat of the scornful. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Psalm 1. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. Desire that sincere milk that you may grow thereby. Psalm 1, and he, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in due season. In due season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. When God saves us, our desire is not to stay where we're at, but to, but to, to be free from what he saved us from. And then to be drawn to what he saved us to. Then to have a hunger for Christ and a hunger for that word that we may grow by that same word. The word that's used in quickening us to life. That word that's used in giving us faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is that same word that grows us. We might get interested in certain topics in the scripture, but it is that sincere milk that grows us.
It's that sincere milk that strengthens us, that gives us a hunger for more. It's a nat- that's just a, a natural, or not natural, it's a, a reasonable response. Because Peter says, if so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Babies don't desire milk so they can become alive. No baby's sitting there thinking, well, I need to drink some milk so I can become a real boy. They're not like uh, Pinocchio trying to become a real boy. Those babies cry for milk because they are alive. The fact that they want something to eat shows that they have life, not that they're trying to be alive. You don't taste something to become alive. Only the living tastes. So those who desire the sincere milk of the word are those who are are alive, who are as newborn babes, who have been born again, who have life. So that's putting the cart before the horse and putting everything backwards to say you have to do this in order for God to love you and to save you. It's saying because you are, this is the reasonable response. This is how this works. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, or that you have knowledge, that you know the Lord, you know that he's gracious, you've tasted his grace, you've experienced his blessings, you've experienced God's grace. And so, if you sit down at a meal, and we'll put all diets and dietary restrictions aside for a second, but you sit down at a meal, and somebody makes your favorite meal, and they set it down in front of you, and you you smell it, and it smells good, and, and it looks good, you take a small little bite say, oh, that's delicious. Then you push it aside and don't eat anymore. You think, well, something's wrong with me. Something's not right. And say, well, what's, what's wrong with your meal? Oh, nothing. Everything's fine. It's, it's very good, very delicious. Are you not hungry? Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm fine. Then why don't you eat? You know, the, something's wrong. If your favorite meal is before you, and you don't eat, and you don't want it, you, you would think something is wrong. The reasonable response would be, if you're hungry, and your favorite meal is set before you, you eat it, it's all oh, that's good. And what does it make you want? It makes you want to have another bite. And you eat some more. Or it might be your favorite dessert, and you get done with it, oh, that was good. What do, we, what do you want? I'd like to have some more. I'd like to have seconds. That's good. I desire it. I've tasted it. I know that it's good. And I, so I want some more. I, 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 want, I want to have seconds. Just like a newborn baby. The newborn baby doesn't uh, take in the milk and say, well, that's enough for tonight. I'm going to go to sleep and I won't want any more until the morning. No, the baby eats until he's full and wakes up and now he desires some more. 
can't get enough. Well, we who have tasted that the Lord is gracious, we've experienced God's grace, we've experienced the new birth, we've experienced um, him walking with us and, and guiding us and dwelling us and teaching us and keeping us, that we call him Father and, and we know that he is our Savior. We've been cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. We have a love for God and a love for the brethren. This word that was preached unto us is sweet to our souls. And we desire the milk of the word. It's very possible that the people who heard this for the first time wouldn't hear it till they gathered again together. You know, we, we, think, we think about that, that we have our own Bibles. We have Bibles on our phones and Bibles in our homes and, and so forth. Well, Peter wrote a letter and sent it out. He didn't write it and send thousands of copies out to people so everybody could have their personal. People came and they heard this letter. They heard this letter as they gathered and then they went home and they thought about it and they, they came back the next time and probably heard it again and then they heard it again it's not so much the, the, the quantity as the desire is what Peter is talking about here so the, the only reason I say that is because we might say well we might start putting numbers on it well how much do I read my Bible do I, you ought to read your Bible every day and that's not what I'm saying but it, it's the desire is what Peter's talking about here. The desire to know God. Not, did I check off all my chapters today? But do I desire His Word? Do I know the sweet taste of the Word of God, the sweet experience of the gracious Lord? And do I desire that? Because when I feed upon Christ, then I'm strengthened, and then I grow. I grow closer to Him, and it works up an appetite, and I, I want more and more. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow, if so be you have tasted that the Lord is gracious.